Hello, we're pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. This is not all gloom because what we're about to see is that he assures his disciples of the sustaining power of the Holy Spirit. When life is challenging, it's so good to have a friend in your corner to do life with you, isn't it? When Jesus was with his disciples at the end of his time with them, they were struggling with the idea of losing their teacher and their friend. How were they to manage? with the tasks he'd given them without him. But Jesus assured them that he was not leaving them alone. He was sending them a helper, a comforter. Tonight, as we join Dr. Corbett, we meet this helper when the spirit of truth comes. Let's open in prayer. We're continuing to look through John's gospel. We're into the farewell discourse, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. This will probably interest a lot of people who have heard teaching about the Holy Spirit, because now we're going to be looking at one of the central passages in the Gospels as to where that teaching comes from. So, Father, I pray that you would open our ears, open our eyes, help us to hear and help us to see what is already in your word. May you guard my mouth. May I not try to insert something into the text of Scripture that's not there. But, Lord, use me now to open up hearts and minds to your glory, that we might see the wonders and the glories in your word, and that we might be drawn closer to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. So we've been looking right through the Gospel of John, looking at just the, the very few days that John describes Christ. And this is, as we've said, the last Gospel, and I'm calling this when the Spirit of Truth comes. And when the Spirit of Truth comes is mentioned in what we call the Farewell Discourse section of John's Gospel. This is where he's talking to his disciples just before he knows he's going to the cross. And he gets very clear with them. And so Christ is really, in knowing what's about to happen, he is bracing his disciples, not only for what's about to happen to him, but for what is about to happen to them. And in a moment, we're going to explore, just because he said this to his original disciples, does that have any implications for us? Are we to assume the same things will happen to us? So we'll look at that in a moment. Let's kick off. We're looking in John chapter 16 and verse 1. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Now, it's important to remember that we haven't finished what we've already been looking at as we've gone through and we've seen Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. We talked about the three levels of intimacy that Christ is wanting to have with his disciples. It's an intimate union. It's a fruitful union. And it will be, as we saw in this section, a tested union. And I mentioned that where someone claims to have true love for someone and yet the slightest hint of disagreement or the slightest hint of uh, you know, difference of opinion or something that annoys you, if, if that's where your love stops, chances are you haven't really understood what love is because as we've seen, where there is true love, it will go through hard times. It will go through disagreements. It will go through those moments when it becomes difficult. And that's what I think Christ is being very 
plain. He's being very clear now with his disciples. And he says, as we kick off in chapter 16, I've said all these things to keep you from falling away. Then he goes on. They will put you out of synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering service to God. So Christ is actually telling his disciples the persecution that they face will come as a, a, a matter of why you are my followers. And its source, he's about to say, will be from people who are godless. They will persecute you for godless religious reasons. Now, it might sound odd that you can have a godless religion, but you can. You can be very religious and not know God. Jesus said it this way, John chapter 16, verse 3, They will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Now, when he says they'll put you out of the synagogue, that was a heavy blow. Because what that meant was you will be rejected and despised by your community. Your community will no longer want anything to do with you. So this was, it really was a big deal. The big deal was the very people who you've grown up with, who you eat with, you work with, you recreate with, these will be the people that will, because you are my followers, they will reject you. So Jesus is warning his disciples of the cost of discipleships, of being his disciple. But that's not all he's doing in this section. I think this is important to understand. This is not all gloom because what we're about to see is that he assures his disciples of the sustaining power of the Holy Spirit. Now, he's already introduced the concept of the Holy Spirit in, in chapter 14, where he says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And he goes on and he says that he will send the Holy Spirit in verse 25 and 26 of chapter 14. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. So these are some of the things that Jesus has already said, and then he's gone on, verse 27, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, this is going to give us a big clue as to how he's now going to instruct his disciples to pray. And he's going to make certain promises about how they pray in this light. We go on, verse chapter 16, verse 4. I've said these things to you, that when the hour comes, in other words, the time when you will be persecuted, you may remember that I told them to you. I told you this would happen, and I want you to remember that I've told you it will happen. I did not say these things to you from the beginning when I was with you. Now, that this is a, a, a great lesson of leadership. The, the, the disciples were not ready for what Jesus had just dis disclosed to them three years prior when he and they began to walk together. The disciples, if you can imagine, if you can put yourself into this scene, they are now stunned. We've seen how throughout this gospel, the Jews had expected, hang on, this is not what the Messiah does. The Messiah brings in an army. Um, 
we haven't seen them yet, but but we, we're sure you're going to do it. And you're going to kick these oppressive Romans out of our land and you're going to deliver us. This is what we've been told by our rabbis. What are you talking about? You're going to die. What are you talking about? We're going to be persecuted. What are you talking about? We're going to be rejected by our kin. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Now, the fact that he didn't tell them this right from the start is because he said, you weren't ready for this. Now you are. And now you know who I am. And you are going to know the Holy Spirit whom I will send. And he will enable you to get through this. Verse 5. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? That's an odd question, and scholars have thought that is an odd question because back in John 14, earlier in this farewell discourse, we find Thomas asking, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Christ then told his disciples in answer to Thomas's question that he was the way and he was going to his father. So it's interesting that Jesus now says, now none of you are asking, where am I going? Well, the point there that scholars have pointed out is, yeah, right now, they're not asking that. He's already told them, and it's beginning to sink in what he's saying. They may have thought he would go away and get his army and come back. They may have thought all different kinds of things, but now they get it. He's going to his father because he's going to die. So we read verse 6. But now, but because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. And you can imagine why. He said, I'm going to die. They're going to mistreat me horribly. And, guys, they're going to do the same thing to you. You can imagine. <laughs> what? And Jesus says, but it will be okay. You will be okay. And he refers to the Holy Spirit, the Greek word is parakletos, which it's in English we translate it as comforter, counsellor, helper. So Jesus identifies the Holy Spirit as the parakletos. We see in verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. So while the Holy Spirit would comfort believers, as Jesus has just said, when the Holy Spirit comes into the world, not just to visit as he did in the Old Testament, but to abide, Jesus says he will comfort you, but he will convict the world. Convict the world of what? Well, he says in verses 8 and 9, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And that is the most heinous sin you can commit. If you refuse to surrender to Christ and believe in him, it's not just mental assent. I believe there is uh, a tree outside or I believe there is a river over there. It's No, it's not. it's not based on... That kind of fact, it's a matter of where you're putting your trust. Do you trust Christ or are you trusting yourself? 
Are you prepared to go to the final day, the last day, the judgment day, and stand before God and say, I reckon I've got this? Or do you realize you haven't got this at all? Do you realize that without Christ, you do not have a true north to guide you through life? Do you realize that without putting your trust in what Christ is offering you right now, the forgiveness of your sins, you don't got this at all. And so this is what the Holy Spirit's going to do. He's going to help people to realize they are sinners and they stand condemned in God's judgment unless they accept his pardon that comes only through Christ. So it says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And we're going to see this in a moment that Christ will say, let us rise from here and let us go. And what he means by this is that they are to go and confront the evil one. And that's what he did. You can imagine the disciples. They're still reeling. Their heads are spinning. They can't process this. What? This is not what we expected. This is not how we thought this was going to end up. This is not right. This is not well. What are you saying? So the disciples were just simply unable. You could see they were just unable to process this. So Jesus says to them in verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. I can see that. I see that you're still struggling to process what I'm telling you now. So Jesus tells them the Holy Spirit would come and he would comfort them, he would strengthen them, and he would continue his ministry of instruction to them. Jesus said, I have many things to tell you, but I can't tell you now because where you're at right now, I, I, I can see it's, you're still processing this. So we see in verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, Jesus says, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. And what else will He do? Verse 14 and 15. He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that He will take what is mine and declare it to you. I heard someone say, if you really seek God and you, you come into the presence of this very Holy Spirit whom Jesus is talking about, you spend any time alone with the Holy Spirit, this person said, you'll come away thinking, I couldn't find the Holy Spirit, but it just felt like I had a wonderful time with Jesus. And this sort of sums up what he is saying here in these two verses. He will glorify me. You spend time with the Holy Spirit, he will make you see Jesus as more magnificent. He will speak words that Jesus would speak because that's what he says. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. If you want to know the Holy Spirit, you will get to know Jesus. And Jesus said, you get to know me, you'll get to know the Father. He goes on, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. In other words, Jesus is saying, I've come to glorify my Father. I've, I, you spend time with me, you'll spend time with my Father. You spend time with the Holy Spirit, you'll spend time with Jesus. You can see how that 
intimate love of the Trinity. They glorify each other. And if you get to be spirit-filled, you walk with the Spirit, you abide in the presence of the Spirit, you will be someone who will get closer to Jesus. So in the midst of all the coming tribulation that the disciples are going to have to endure, Jesus offered hope. He offers hope. And I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you today, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you are going through, you're just one prayer away from the hope that Jesus offers. He says in verse 16, A little while and you'll see me no longer. And again, a little while you will see me. You could understand why the disciples are going, What? What do you mean in a little while? We won't see you anymore. Then in a little while, you you will see me. What on earth does that mean? And this, they're thinking this to themselves. And so it says some of his disciples said to one another, What? What does he mean? A little while and you'll not see me. Again, a little while you will see me. And because what, what does he mean when he says, Because I'm going to the Father. Verse 17. So it says, they were saying, what does he mean a little while? We, we don't know what he's talking about. It's almost as if they're whispering this. They've been pretty quiet. You, you look through most of chapter 15. You can, if you've got a red letter Bible, you see most of it's red. It's Jesus talking. They are sitting there in stunned silence at the, the news of what awaits them. They've already pledged allegiance to Christ. Now they're confronted with, you're telling us we're going to be, what? Despised? Mistreated? Killed? What? What is going on here? And it says this, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, a little while? And you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And I, I really, I, th- I think they were probably whispering this, probably saying it very quietly while sitting in stunned silence, basically listening to what Jesus is saying. Of course, it was going to be a little while. They didn't know that. It would be just a few days before Christ would actually die. And, and then he'd be resurrected. In fact, it was less than days when Christ would die, but it was days when he would be resurrected. And then, of course, it was only relatively a matter of days until the Feast of Pentecost, when the very Holy Spirit, whom Jesus has just been talking about and will continue to talk about, would be poured out and not just be with them, abide with them, but would be, Jesus says, in them, in them. So we see in verse 20, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. What will they be sorrowful about? The cross. What they see happen to Jesus. They will run. They will hide. They will be in terror of their lives. And Jesus knows it. 
And it's almost as if he's saying, I know this is how you're going to respond. I don't want you to fall away. I don't want you to give up. I don't want you to think that what I'm asking you to do is going to be the end of the road. It won't be. I'm calling you to take my gospel, he will later tell them, to the ends of the earth. And they will probably get as close as they could in their time to doing that. Verse 21. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. This is amazing. In the midst of all that he's talking about, the persecution, the tribulation they're about to endure, he says, but in the midst of that, I'm going to give you joy. And this is where he says something that I think in this verse, a lot of people take this out of context. They look at this verse in isolation without considering what we've just seen. And they think that if I become a Christian, I can ask God to do anything and he promises that he will do it. Now let's think about this in the context of what Jesus is saying. This is what the verse is. Verse, chapter 16, verse 23. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. This is where some people thought, oh, cool. <laughs> I'll ask for a bigger house, a nicer car. I'll ask for a new, insert whatever you want here, without realizing The very context in which Jesus offered that promise was in the midst of how you deal with, get through and endure tribulation, persecution and oppression because you are a Christian, because you are a follower of Christ. Jesus says, until now, this verse 24, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. What will be the result? The end of the verse, that your joy may be full there is a joy that comes from being filled with the holy spirit and this is what jesus is promising his followers what was jesus telling his disciples to ask the father for in prayer the strength the joy the courage and the peace to withstand all hardship and testing, to endure persecution. Christ now tells his disciples, having told them these things in a way that has stunned them, he says, I have said these things to you, verse 25, in figures of speech. But the hour is coming when I'll no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. And this will happen after the resurrection. In the meantime, he's had to be using obscure language, figures of speech. I've made the case that the forces of evil were watching Christ. The forces of evil were following Christ. And they were just as confounded, if not more, as were the disciples. And now Jesus is saying, you may not understand what I'm telling you, But the day will come very soon, in a little while, when you will get it. You will get it. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. 
<clears throat> in that day, you will ask in my name, who? Well, you're going to ask the Father. He's already told us that. I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. In other words, you will have direct access to my Father just as I have. He says this, Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God, you will be able to ask directly what I have been able to ask directly from God, because he will become your Father. We see in verse 28, Jesus said to the disciples, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. It's almost, it's almost you can hear Jesus saying, my mission is just about done. I've nearly completed my mission. <laughs> I'm so looking forward to going back to the Father. His disciples said, verses 29 and 30, now you're speaking plainly and you're not using figurative speech. Now we know, get this, you know all things. John says this often. He reveals that Christ did indeed. He knew everything. And I've said before, there are some people who think Jesus had two natures in which he had two brains, essentially. Two minds, I should say, perhaps a bit more precisely. That Jesus had an earthly mind, a human mind, and that human mind was, well, ignorant but he also had a divine mind that was all-knowing and here john has repeatedly and consistently said throughout his gospel jesus knew everything he knew everything and he records the disciples saying this now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you this is why we believe that you came from god it's, it's almost as if the money has now dropped into the parking meter. And that's why I suggest just a moment ago that what they said was almost in a hushed whisper to one another. Do you know what he means? What, what's he saying? And Jesus, without really probably hearing them, says, you're asking what do I mean by a little while and I go to the Father. And you could imagine at that point the disciples said, how did you know that? And then they'd probably reflect on all the other things that they've seen over the last three, three and a half years where they go, he does this a lot. He re it's almost as if he reads minds. He knows what we're thinking. And this is a great consolation to those of us who think we have to pray out loud. We can pray in our heads, so to speak, and he'll still hear us. So the disciples actually at this point acknowledge that they realize I'm going to use a big word here, that Jesus is omniscient. Now, omniscient is a big word, and it has big meaning to it because there's only one person in the universe that is omniscient, and that's God. At this point, the disciples are now acknowledging, you are God in the flesh. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Oh, behold. The hour is coming, indeed it's come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. Oh man, I read this, I, it's almost as if I've just sort of crept into the back of the room and I'm hearing this going on in the upper room. And it's like, 
the tenderness, the sadness where Jesus is saying to these 11 followers of his. Of course, John stayed right to the end. He followed Christ. He went to the cross. He went to the trial. But Jesus is still feeling the pain that I've been with you for three and a half years protecting you. And now with what I'm about to go through, I know you're going to leave me. But I won't be alone. I won't be alone. For my Father is with me. Verse 32. Jesus said, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. Oh, You may not have peace right now. But Jesus offers you peace. In him you may have peace. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Oh, man. Some people talk about the promises of God. This is a promise. In this world, you follow Christ closely. You'll find many people who will hate you, irrationally hate you. You will have great tribulation. And we know of the 11 remaining disciples, at least, at least half of them we can document, died horrible martyrs' deaths which they could have avoided if they had said, we didn't actually see Jesus raised from the dead. That's all it would have taken. But they said, we can't deny what we've seen. We can't deny that we saw him dead and that we saw him alive (gasps) three days after he died. We can't deny that. We know it's true. So here's the question as we sort of wrap up this chapter now. Can we take Christ's warnings about the cost of discipleship that he gave to the original disciples, the original apostles? Do we need to apply that today to us? I mean, should we expect that what Christ told his original disciples, that they would be persecuted and even martyred for the sake of following Christ? Is that for us today? Well... The reality is, we can debate this all we like, but there is a certain reality here. We, not, we may not be experiencing it here in comfortable Tasmania or comfortable Australia or comfortable Western world. But the reality is, right now, there are more Christian martyrs happening each year than in any other time in history. Right now... There are parts of the world where if you profess that you are a follower of Christ, it literally means death. We have an obligation who do not face that continual threat to be a good brother, a good sister, a good support and strength, if in no other way but in prayer. Every time I've heard from people, Christians who are in those, those parts of the world where it, where it is deadly to be a Christian and they've been asked, how do you want us in the West to pray for you? What do you want us to do? Don't pray that the persecution ends. Pray that we will be faithful to the end. <laughs> oh man, you know, many of you know right now in my own life I'm dealing with a terminal condition. Doctors haven't given me a time frame, but I know my end is coming up nearer than I thought it was. 
And my prayer is that. I thank you to many people who've written and emailed and and contacted me and said, we're praying for you to be healed. And I deeply appreciate it. And when they ask, how would you like us to pray for you? I say without fail, pray that I will be in the will of God and that I will be faithful. And you know what? That's my prayer for you too. As a pastor, I want to pastor you well so that you are faithful to the end. So I want to do that right now. And then I also I want to pray for those who... <laughs> this might be a strange moment to invite you to give your life to Christ, having said that if you give your life to Christ, you may pay a price. But that's what Jesus told his original disciples. You may pay a price. And I'm going to say the same thing to you. You give your life to Christ... And I'm saying to you, there is no better alternative. If you want true north in your life, you need to give your life to Christ. If you want a moral compass to know what is right and good and true and beautiful, you need to surrender your life to Christ. If you have not given your life to Christ, do not think for one second, I'm inviting you to become religious. I'm not. I'm asking you to become whom the God who created you has created you to become, and that is his son or daughter. Let's pray. Father, I do pray right now for those who have yet to surrender their lives to Christ, who have yet acknowledged that they are a sinner who needs to be forgiven, who needs to find peace with God. Father, Help those people, help all people to find that peace now by surrendering to Christ. And I pray, Lord, that in the process, they would come to know Christ richly and deeply. Now, Lord, may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with everyone who's just joined with me now and who's heard this. And I pray, Lord, that you stir their hearts to turn closer to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select The Last Gospel, Part 21, from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, the sustaining promise of the presence of the Helper, the Holy Spirit, is still available to all today. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.